The book of Revelation, chapter 22. The very final chapter of your Bible. The book of Revelation, chapter 22, and verse 13. The privilege of being in the family of God is of incalculable worth to know Him as our Lord and Savior, to be a part of His living, dynamic body. Amen? Amen. Thank God. Revelation 22 and 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And for a few moments today, I want to preach on this subject. He is. He is who he says that he is. Would you look at someone beside you and tell them that? He is who he says that he is. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for your sensitivity and response to the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And with that, creation began the unfolding story of God's revelation to and God's relationship with humanity. It's a story of covenant and it's a story of redemptive love. And as that story began to be told, God progressively revealed himself to humanity throughout the Old Testament. And the cumulative conclusion of that sacred text is undeniable that God is absolutely and indivisibly one Lord, that He is without distinction. We get a clear snapshot of this in Exodus 3 when God commissioned Moses to deliver His people out of the bondage of Egypt. Moses had been by divine design, prepared and positioned for such a time as this. But Moses has some questions about his call. And in Exodus 3 and 13, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What? Is his name. What shall I say to them? God acts upon and seizes Moses' question to now reveal himself in a new relational and very personal way. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am, has sent me to you. Moses, I am God alone. And in fact, Moses, I am the Lord of all possibilities. And whatever you come in confrontation with, and whatever questions may arise, and whatever my people come into confrontation with, Just be sure of this truth, that I am 
that I am. And whatever you need, I am. There is nothing beyond the range of who I am. I am the I am that I am. It is later post-deliverance from Egypt in Mount Sinai that God begins to give the written law that would govern His people. And in Exodus 20, the very first commandment of what we commonly call the Ten Commandments makes undeniably clear that God was God all by Himself. Exodus 20 and 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. I am God all by myself. Even a little later, just prior to his death, Moses takes this first commandment and he establishes its universal truth and commandment as the central tenet of the faith of those who would be in covenant with God. When in Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Moses declares, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. People of God, here's what you must understand. Upon this hinges everything that you do. Upon this hinges everything that you are. You must know that the I am that I am is absolutely and indivisibly one. And that He alone is worthy of your exclusive worship. And He alone is worthy of your exclusive loyalty. And that He alone is worthy of your obedience to His commandments. This is the hinge point of all that will be declared and revealed in the Old Testament. Tragically though, the Old Testament history of the Israelite people is marked by this downward spiral that sees them vacillating between obedience to and rejection against this universal truth of God's lordship. And yet God, in spite of their hard neck and in spite of their stubborn hearts, God mercifully sends prophets and He calls them back over and over, calling them back into covenant with Him. Calling them back to be loyal and faithful to Him alone. Calling them to remember that I am God and I am God all by myself and I am the only living God. The words of the prophets are captured so well through Isaiah. Isaiah 44 and 6, Isaiah pens and declares on behalf of God, Thus says, says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. In 44 and 24, he continues, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and He who formed you from the womb, 
I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, and who spreads abroad the earth by myself. I am God, and I am God all alone. It is also through the prophets that God makes abundantly clear that salvation was in Him and in Him alone. Again, through the voice of Isaiah 43 and 10. You, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I am God all by myself. Israel, tragically, would ultimately reject His Lordship and rebel against His commandment and deny the truth of who He was. But God, in amazing grace, nonetheless still assures them and still lets them know that I am God and I am faithful to my covenant. I am true to my word and I covenant with Abraham and I have a covenant with David and I will honor that. I will come. There will be an anointed one. A Messiah will arise and no matter how far away you flee and no matter how, how long you reject and no matter how hard you deny, I am God. I will come. I will save. I am mighty to save. And so we hear the words again voiced by Isaiah in that classic passage of Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I am God. I am God all by myself. And I will do what I have said I would do because I am who I say that I am. I am the Lord. I am creator. And I am the Savior of all that is. And so the verdict is sure. And the verdict is steadfast. From front to back of the sacred text of Scripture, the Old Testament conclusively and emphatically demonstrates that God is exactly who He says that He is. From the parting of the Red Sea and to the shutting of the lion's mouth, He is God all by Himself. From the stopping of the sun in His tracks 
and even making it go backwards in its path. He is God alone from raising the widow's son from the dead and healing the leper in the muddy Jordan, from collapsing the walls of Jericho to making an axe head float and swim back to shore. He is God and he's God all by himself. He's the I am that I am. He alone is creator. He alone is sovereign over all. And he alone is mighty to save. He is who he says that he is. <clears throat> Centuries pass. But in the fullness of time, the story of God's revelation to and God's relationship with humanity continues in a new chapter that we call the New Testament. An angel suddenly appears to Mary, a girl who's engaged to Joseph. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like something Isaiah had uttered hundreds of years before? He is God. And he will be the son of the highest. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then that angel appears to, to Joseph. He's a little perturbed. An engaged virgin is pregnant. That's not normal or human. And so he, he, he needs a word from the Lord. But the angel appears, that same angel. And she will bring forth a son. And you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all of this was done, Matthew tells us, to be fulfilled that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God come to earth. And so it was, Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. The great I am now was manifested in the flesh. God was expressly revealed for all of humanity to see that I am who I am and now I am has become expressed through the man Jesus Christ. To this fundamental truth of the New Testament upon which all of the New Testament hangs that Jesus Christ is both Lord and God. The Gospel of John stands as a persuasive witness that He is who He says that He is. John begins from the very onset. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. 
John brilliantly takes on the misunderstanding of Greco-Roman philosophy and Jewish rabbis who thought and insisted that Creator God would never descend into the cosmos of human existence. But John takes their own language of logos or the word and he turns it upside down on its head and he unilaterally declares that in fact Creator has come near and Creator has descended into the cosmos and Creator has come into the messy world of humanity and He's not only revealed Himself but He's come in a personal and a relational manner. He's come as a God of covenant. He's come to know His people. He's come to be in relationship with His people. He was the Word. He is the Word. And then in 14, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John declares that the I am that Moses only got a glimpse of, that Moses witnessed in part on the mountain in Exodus. Now all of humanity doesn't see God in part, but all of humanity sees the full expression of God revealed to humanity in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Following that incredible and majestic introduction. The Gospel of John takes this meticulous and provides a meticulous mosaic of miracles and Jesus statements that serve together as irrefutable proof that Jesus was God and He was God manifested in the flesh. Nowhere is this more pointed in that incredible Gospel than in John 8 and 58 where after a lengthy debate with the Jews over who is the true son of Abraham. Even Jews who claim to be followers of Jesus. After this debate, Jesus blatantly declares and settles the issue. When in 8 and 58, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. I am who I say that I am. Rhetorically, the Jews were thrown off their feet. They were stunned beyond belief. They understood exactly what he was saying. They knew he did not just claim to be a part of God. He did not just claim to be from God. He just claimed to be God. He just claimed to be the I am. He just said everything you believe, everything you call scripture, every I am, every miracle, every Yahweh, every demonstration, Jesus just made it clear, that's me. I am, I am, I am. And John says he is who he says that he is. He is the I am that I am. I am God all by myself. Ultimately, every miracle from the feeding of the 5,000 to the turning the water into wine to raising Lazarus from the grave 
all conclusively demonstrated that I am the Yahweh of the Old Testament and I am that exclusive, unique God. Every I am statement from I am the resurrection to I am the door to I am the bread to I am the light. Every single one of them John records to again conclusively demonstrate that Jesus Christ was not another but he was Yahweh revealed expressly in the flesh. He was the full revelation of who God was. But every miracle and every statement of the Lord ultimately culminated in, in doubting Thomas's confession that John saves for the end of his gospel. In John 20 and 27, Jesus appears before them and Thomas is now with them. And he said to Thomas, reach your fingers here and look in at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. I am who I say that I am. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, forgive me. I was unlearned. I didn't have right understanding, but I see you as the resurrected Lord and it's all solved now you are my Lord and you are my God and in Thomas's confession is the defining confession of the gospel and in fact all the gospels that Jesus Christ is the express revelation of God Almighty that in the face of Jesus Christ we are looking at the face of creator God that when we see him we see God when he speaks he speaks as God when he works he works as God he is God all by himself Jesus Christ is the I am and he is the expression of the I am and he's at all at the same time because he is God and he's God all by himself And like Thomas, everything changed for the disciples following the death, peril, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Confusion over identity gave way to clarity. Doubt surrendered to bold belief. The Old Testament came alive to them and they understood it in a way never before. And so it is at the inauguration of the church on the day of Pentecost, that Peter, standing with the eleven, unabashedly preached that Jesus was the mighty God in Christ. He concludes that masterful message where he reaches back to Joel, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He reaches back to David and the Psalms to declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord of David. He preaches the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he brings it all to a point in Acts 2 and 36 when he declares, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus 
whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. To the apostles, Jesus being Lord and Christ was not mutually exclusive. They didn't have to add another to the formula to figure it out. To them, Lord and Christ was mutually defining. He was who He said that He was. This is shown by Peter's non-negotiable statement in Acts 4 when he declared, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter was not ignorant to the book of Isaiah. Peter understood. He knew, I'm not blaspheming Jehovah God. I'm not blaspheming the I Am. I'm declaring who the I Am is. His name is Jesus and there is salvation in Him alone. And in with outside of Him, there is no salvation. He is the Savior all by Himself. In fact, that truth of Jesus' identity is climatically cemented in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 9, when the greatest enemy of the church and he who rejected Christ the most vehemently is suddenly transformed into the greatest advocate and evangelist of Christ the church would see. It happened all because of a supernatural revelation of Jesus' identity. In verse 3 of chapter 9, as Saul journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? This was not a polite term used by Saul. Saul was addressing Yahweh. Saul was addressing the God of covenant. Saul was calling upon the name of his exclusive, unique, indivisible God. Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am I am Jesus whom you are persecuting and it's hard for you to kick against the goads. That revelation that transformed the disciples now transformed Saul into Paul and he became a relentless and fearless ambassador and everywhere he went he preached the same message that Jesus Christ is the sovereign God come to earth to redeem all of humanity back to himself. So he wrote the Corinthians in 5 and 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. God didn't send another. God didn't divide Himself. God didn't send a part of Himself. God didn't send a second distinction of Himself. God came Himself. He was God in Christ. 
to Timothy he penned what many would consider to be the New Testament equivalent of Deuteronomy 6 and 4, the New Testament Shema. For there is one God that was non-negotiable to the disciples and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. When they preached the Father and when they preached Jesus, they understood it as God expressed in humanity as Jesus Christ. They had no urge to divide him up ontologically. They understood theologically he is the one and same. He is the I am that I am. He uniquely, he all by himself. He is God. He is who he says that he is. So Paul continued to Timothy, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. Great is the mystery. Paul would say he doesn't use mystery here like your favorite Hardy Boys sequel that you might have read as a child or see in the thrift store. But when Paul and the disciples in the New Testament use mystery, it's a mystery that's already been solved. It's a mystery that's now clearly revealed. And Paul says, hey, it's already solved. He is God manifested in the flesh. But to the Colossians, Paul writes, understanding that this world would reject that truth understanding that the church would begin to try to impose philosophy and tradition upon the truth of Scripture. Paul writes to the Colossians and says, Beware, beware lest anyone cheat you. Beware that anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to those basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Paul says if you're going to try to figure out who God is, don't look to tradition. Don't look to philosophy. Don't look to those who embrace the principles of this world. You might ought to look to Christ because He is who He says that He is. And in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The New Testament therefore is clear that following the resurrection and the outpouring of His Spirit at Pentecost, they all gave indisputable witness that, the, that God was absolutely and indivisibly one. That Jesus Christ was not another. That Jesus Christ was not a distinct part of God. That He was God. He was fully God. He was God manifested in the flesh. To this end, John's revelation or unveiling of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, stands as the capstone of the biblical canon. It concludes our holy writ. John's writing to real churches 
Maybe you thought it was just a timeline to figure out when Jesus is returning. Maybe you thought it was a book to somehow interpret yesterday's headlines. Maybe you thought it would help you figure out what China's going to do. Maybe you thought it was to know who the, uh, what the mark of the beast is. But all of those things delay and all of those things distract you from what is the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book is it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the unveiling of the mighty God in Christ. And John writes to real churches filled with real people who are living in a real world and who are facing real pressure to cave and to assimilate and to compromise their faith, their loyalty, their worship to Jesus Christ alone. Rome did not care who you worship. You could, wor- you could worship a bullfrog or a tadpole. You could worship a, a, a sitting image or a standing image. But you better worship Caesar somewhere in that mix. And you better not say that your God was exclusive. Then we have a problem. Sound familiar? They lived in a real world. And to these believers, and to believers of every generation, John seeks to pull back the veil of time and space so that we can see the revelation of who God is. So that we can see the identity of Jesus Christ and His sovereignty over everything that is, has ever been, and will ever be His sovereignty over all. So in chapter 1, John is in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he hears the Lord speak. And it's a great voice like a trumpet. And God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Or in other words, I am that I am. That God, Yahweh, the God of covenant, then commissions John to write the seven oracles to the church, to call them back to exclusive loyalty to God, to call them back to a first love where they serve the Lord with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul, and all of their strength. To call them to reject the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and of Jezebel who would teach that you could still be true to God and yet assimilate with the imperial cult of Rome. You could still be true to God because you really knew He was the true God. But you could still go to the temple cult. And you could still partake in the sacrifices, the idols. And you for sure could make sure your economy was not threatened. John blasts into that falsehood through the oracles and declares that the I am that I am, He alone is God. His name is Jesus and He's worthy of exclusive worship and exclusive obedience and exclusive loyalty. Immediately though after those oracles, John 
is caught up in the spirit and he's transported to the throne room of heaven, a place where he will continue to visit after every cycle of judgment. Where does God take John? Back to the throne room. Just when it seems that all of humanity is destroyed by the judgment of God, where does John end up? Back in the throne room. Just when the plagues are about to wipe out all of creation, where does John end up? Back in the throne room. And when it's all comes to a conclusion, where is John? In a throne room. For in that throne room is the central point of all eternity. In that throne room is the central point of all that exists. And it is the throne of God and the one who sits on the throne. And John has a vision of what it really is. Time and space is pulled away and John realizes that everything that exists, exists in concentric circles around the throne. And everything that exists either is or will give worship to the one who is on the throne. But we move from chapter 4 to chapter 5 and John is still in the throne room but now John sees a lamb and the lamb is in the middle of the throne and the lamb is surrounded by the same circle of all that exists and that circle is ascribing to the lamb all of the glory and the honor and the praise that they have ascribed to the one who sits on the throne for he alone is worthy and now the throne is not just surrounded by heavenly beings but now the throne is surrounded by those who are in the earth and all that exists below the earth in fact all of creation is now circling around the throne the central point of the existence of all that is and they are worshiping the lamb who is the lord They are worshiping God, the God who created, the God who revealed himself in covenant, the God who came in flesh, the God who is now both Lord and the Lamb. In Revelation 5 and 13, John sees this scene where every creature which is in heaven and every creature on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, John said, I heard them saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever and ever. And if you want to be on the right side of eternity, then it is vital that you make sure that you are in the circle of worshipers who are declaring that worthy is the Lamb who was, who is, and who is to come. Worthy is the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb. He is God, and He is God all by Himself. I am who I say that I am. And ultimately, through all the crazy visions that scare us and we don't even want to read about them and people try to tell us what they mean and and Jesus told us you're probably not going to figure it out. You just need to be ready and just remember that no matter what happens, I've already revealed to you what it all revolves around, the throne. And if you're around the throne, it's going to be okay. And John has unveiled 
how everything that exists, how everything that exists, including Satan, that dragon himself, is now subject to the one who sits on the throne. And his apocalyptic work concludes now in Revelation 20 and 22, 21, with the unveiling of New Jerusalem, that final summation of time and space where God will dwell with His people forever and ever. And John describes that there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. If John was seeing two distinct beings somehow trying to see who got the most of the throne chair, then what he wrote is corrupt and it is is heretical and everything we believe in is a waste. But if John saw the one who is both Lord and Lamb, then all of Scripture is in congruence and alignment that He is who He says that He is. And when we bow before His throne, we will not see two or twenty or thousands, but we will see the one, and His name is Jesus, and He is the I Am that I Am. He is. He is who he says that he is. And what began? The unveiling of Christ that began with God declaring, I am Alpha and Omega, now concludes all of Scripture with Jesus Christ declaring, I am Alpha and Omega. In 22 and 12, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I, Jesus, in 16, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bride and the morning star. And ladies and gentlemen, thus concludes all of Scripture. And what Scripture uh, conclusively demonstrates is that God is who He says that He is. He is God. And He is God all by Himself. He is Creator. His name is Jesus. He's the resurrection. His name is Jesus. He's the only living God. His name is Jesus. He's the only Savior. And His name is Jesus. He is the only healer. And His name is Jesus. He's the only deliverer. 
and his name is Jesus. He's the only peacemaker and his name is Jesus. He just is who he says he is. You can make it complicated. You can try to impose tradition and you'll get the hodgepodge called religion we enjoy today. Or you can just go back to the authority of scripture and say he's not what I think he is. He's not what philosophy says he is. He's not what the educated say he is. He is who he says that he is. And upon this rock, I will build my life. And upon this rock, he will build his church. That he is God Almighty. And he is God by himself. And there is salvation in no other. His name is Jesus. He is who he says that he is. If you're able, please stand. If you're able, please stand. And so God's holy word stands before us. His word that will judge us. His word that holds us accountable. And his word declares that I am who I say that I am. And because He is, then He alone is exclusively worthy of my worship. And He alone is exclusively worthy of my loyalty. And He alone is exclusively worthy of my obedience to His commands. And we live in a pluralistic world filled with a lot of mushy-gushy, feel-good facades. But the word is clear. He is either the Lord of all, or He is not your Lord at all. He's either who He says He is, or you have a God of your own imagination. And you can call that God Jesus, but it's not the Christ of Scripture. And when I'm confronted by the Christ of Scripture, the God who is I am, then I have to decide, will I bow my knee and worship Him? Will I serve Him exclusively? Because if you're trying to to serve your wallet with one hand and profess Him with another, John says in Revelation, no deal because he alone is worthy of exclusive worship. That confronts us hard. That messes with our math. It messes up our social lives. When we look in the mirror, we have to have a new worldview. When we decide whether we're going to follow the spiritual authority in our life, it comes under a new light now. Because He's either the Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. There's no middle ground. And you can call it a lot of things. And I don't want to be rude today. But if you're not serving Him exclusively, you're ultimately serving the dragon, the beast, who is Satan himself. And it may look like a job. And it may look like a relationship. And it may look like a hobby that seems innocent. 
And it may look like a decision that seems of no consequence. Here, there, there, little. But if it dilutes your exclusive worship to Jesus Christ, He is not Lord at all. And therefore, the dragon is your Lord, and you will spend eternity where He will be. But I want to make sure that I'm where He is. And where He is is surrounded by circles of everything that exists. And everything in those circles is saying, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. He is who He says that He is. He is God all by Himself. And more than anything else, more than anything else, He is a Savior. And if we will call upon His name, He will come into covenant with us. If we will profess Him as our Lord, as demonstrated by our exclusive obedience to Him, that causes us to repent of our sin and turn to Him with all of our heart, He will receive us. He will never reject us. If we will have His name orally invoked over us in water baptism, titles will not do. They are a dime a dozen. It has to be the saving name of God, the God of covenant, Jesus. I am that I am. And if you will worship Him, if you will worship Him today, exclusively with all of your heart. He will baptize you with His Holy Spirit. And the God of creation will become the God who dwells within you. And you will become a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ. And you will join the ranks of the innumerable host who surround the throne and give their worship and their loyalty to Jesus Christ alone. It's your opportunity today because that God is here. He's right here. He's walking down the road where you're standing right now. He's knocking on the door of your heart just like He did in Revelation. He will not kick that door in. He's a polite gentleman. He's God. He built the house and He created you. But He waits on you to open up that door and say, God, I've flushed out everything else in this home. You are the Lord of all in my life. Are you ready? Do you believe God can do that for you today? He is who He says He is. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's a peace giver. He can cleanse your heart. He can chase away the shame. He can break every addiction. He can free you from pornography. He can free you from meth. He can take care of that gambling problem. He is who He says He is. He is God all by Himself.